You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Covenant Church in Big Spring, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us online. To find more resources or to donate to this amazing ministry, please visit us at cccbigspring.org or text your amount to 84321. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God. Praise the Lord, everybody. You know, that's what we say in church. Praise the Lord, everybody. I'm going to try it again on this side. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Praise God. Well, I want you to grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of Genesis. And while you're turning there, let me welcome our own site as well as our online audience. Thank you for connecting with us and joining us here on the first Sunday of November. It seems like 2020 is just flew right on by. Uh, I say that now because we're in November. Uh, I didn't say that in March, April, May, June, July, August, and possibly summer, September. Uh, But certainly we have made it to August, uh, to uh, November rather, uh, by God's grace. And I am certainly grateful for it. We're going to be in Genesis, the 29th chapter. If you're here, if if this is your first time being at the 11 o'clock service, a worship experience here at Cornerstone Company Church. Could you just wave at me real quick? If this is your first time at the 11 o'clock service, amen. I see you waving. I see you. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. We're glad that you're able to make it with us. Uh, we pray that, uh, that God will bless you in our time of fellowship uh, today. And the reason I wanted to point you out is because we have started a brand new series. I say brand new. It's no longer new because we're in our fourth week, uh, week one. Uh, we were in week one. We dealt with uh, strange voices. Uh, in this series, we started a brand new series entitled Lies Couples Believe. Say that with me. Lies Couples Believe. Come on, one more time. Lies Couples Believe. And in week one, we dealt with a title called Strange Voices. It came from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And then in week two, we were dealing with the subject or the message called Blinded by Sight. Again, we were in Genesis chapter 3, but then we moved to verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. And then the third week, we were uh, in a message entitled, Where Are You? And we moved from verses to verses 11, uh, 9 through 11. And then last week, of course, we celebrated our 13th church anniversary. And so we, amen, amen. We took a moment to just celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. And so what I wanted to do is I have a few more messages that I want to share with you as it relates to this particular subject, uh, Lies Couples Believe. Today, we're in part four of our series. Genesis chapter 29, uh, verse number 31. Now, it is our custom, so let me say this before uh, here in a moment we're going to have you stand. But if you're holding a baby or you just want to sit down, nobody's going to roll their eyes and suck their teeth at you. And I can't believe you didn't stand. It is just our custom. You're not going to go to hell if you don't stand when we read the scripture. Amen. So, so, you know, sometimes people feel very condemned, but it is our custom to stand as we attempt to show reverence to God's word. So we're going to ask those that uh, can stand what you would stand in Genesis, Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 through 35. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Your translation may be different from mine, but I believe you'll be able to follow along. If you've arrived to that portion of scripture, I want you to signify by the saying of amen. Genesis 29, verse 31, it says this, and when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Listen to this, verse 32. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. 
Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Verse 34, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have bore him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Here we are in the fourth week of our Lies Couples Believe series. And today we're going to unmask the lie that the enemy has fed into our minds that has led us to becoming stuck. Anybody ever felt stuck? In the message entitled, Stuck, A Tale Between Two Ladies and One Man. And what I want to do is focus on Leah. If you're familiar with the 29th chapter of Genesis, you certainly know the characters of Jacob and Rachel and Leah. For today's emphasis, I want to focus on one character in particular, and that's Leah. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for those who have joined us both on site and online as we partake in your word today. Let your word go out and not return void, but let it accomplish what it's sent out to do. In Jesus' name we pray, and the Lord, and bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord. One of the things that I've shared with you, and, and so it's worth recapping, uh, as we covered over the last few weeks, three weeks exactly, our three-pronged approach. I told you that we took a three-pronged approach as it relates to the setup of this particular series because what we have in mind is this idea of a tripod. I told you that the word tripod comes from the Greek word tripus, meaning having three feet. And so when we look at the first foot that was established, it came from John, for the purpose of this series, it came from John, the uh, 8th chapter, verses 31 and 32, it says this, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, they believed, he says, If you abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed. Then he says this, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. One of the things we talked about that is significant, that is important, and that is if the truth will set you free, what will a lie do? We know that a lie can keep you in bondage. Lies can keep you in darkness. Lies can keep you, amen. The Bible says where there's confusion, there's every evil work. Lies bring about confusion. Can I get a witness? The third thing that we, the second thing rather that we talked about as it relates to this three-pronged approach comes from this idea of deception. We know that the enemy loves to come in and create doubt while at the same time sow a lie. He sows that. He starts with creating doubt, and then he sows the lie. What is the purpose of sowing that lie? Well, it is to poison the whale. It is to poison the whale. And one of the things you're going to see in Leah's life today is her disconnect from God. Even though God is present, there's a disconnect between her and the God of her salvation. One of the things that you also discover is that when the enemy is trying to cast doubt and sow deception, sow a lie, one of the things that is certainly significant it is designed to breed distrust in other words if I believe that the world is poison listen the whale doesn't even have to be poison if I just believe that the whale is poison I will be reluctant to partake even if it's living water talk to me somebody 
So not only does it breed deception, but it also erodes influence. In other words, if you become less and less trusting, if you believe that something is poison, you will put less and less trust in it. And the enemy does that to erode your trust or the influence that that person or when in this case God will have in your life. And the last thing that it's designed to do is to cut off your support system. But one of the things that is significant is that Paul writes on our third prong of approach as it relates to laying the foundation of this series comes from Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 4th verse, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not, listen, the weapons of our warfare are, well, let me just read it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God by the what? For the pulling down, somebody, come on, somebody say pulling down. Come on, somebody say pull it down. Amen. By the pulling down of strongholds. Now, we've discovered that in the Greek, this word stronghold literally means fortress. And so a, a stronghold for us in spiritual warfare is a lie that you have chosen to believe. That's a stronghold. A stronghold is a lie that you have chosen to believe. And when you choose, listen, and you allow that lie, even though it's a lie, you choose to believe it, you say it's okay. When you say it's okay, you give it permission to stay. Which hence brings us back to the original Greek word of stronghold, which literally means fortress. And that's, it's a fortress. In other words, it builds itself in your mind and it wants to stay there. When you give it permission to stay, you don't just help it build a fortress. The word literally means also to fortify itself. So now all of a sudden that lie in your mind fortifies itself into your thinking. And now you become a slave to that thought. Can I get a witness? Have you ever been there? Come on, can I get a witness that you say, yeah, I've, I've, I've allowed that to happen in my life? Well, with, I want you to consider Genesis chapter 29, and let's just go back a few verses and look at verse number 1. Because the Bible says that Jacob opens up, this passage opens up saying that Jacob has taken a journey and he's traveled to the east. Now, there's a few things that you need to know about Jacob. One of the things you need to know is that Jacob is a con man. We know if you study his story, he's going to later be transformed. But Jacob's name literally meant con. He was a trickster. Here it is. He was a deceiver. That's what he was known as. He's going to eventually be transformed. But understand, right at this place in his life, he is a deceiver. He's a con man. He's a trickster. That's important to the narrative of this story as we continue on here. The Bible says that he meets Rachel. Now, a few weeks ago, if you were here and we were talking about different aspects of lies that we believe, we talked about that Jacob came and he enters into uh, the east and he comes across Rachel. He sees her. He speaks to her. He flirts with her. And then he kisses her. And then he cries. That's some type of kiss. I don't know what kind of kiss he had, but the boy started crying. Oh, some of you are from Missouri, so let's dive into the word. Look here. Verse, look at it. Verse 9 says, And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Verse 10 says, And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laman, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laman's, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near. So all of a sudden he sees Rachel, and then he goes near, and then here it is. The Bible says, And he rolled the stone." Away from the wall, uh, from the well. Listen, listen. This is Jacob flexing. This, this is him flexing. He, 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 oh, come on, y'all. Don't act like you ain't never flex. Somebody that you want to get their attention, and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, let me move it. 
He, he's, 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 he, he didn't move it for anybody else. But when Rachel showed up, he removed the stone from the whale's mouth, and the Bible says, and watered the flock of Laman. Not because of Laman, because Rachel showed up. Verse 11 says, then Jacob kissed Rachel, there it is, and lifted up his voice and did what? Is that what your Bible says? So we know, listen, I don't, I'm not saying he cried a boo-boo cry, you know, and blubber. I don't know what kind of cry, but the Bible says he wept. Verse 11, verse 15 says, and Laban says to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Listen to what the scripture says. Don't miss this. Verse 16 says, now Laban had two daughters. How many daughters? How many daughters? The Bible says that he has two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. So Laman has two daughters. One is Leah, one is Rachel. Then the scripture says in verse 17, notice the description that the Bible gives. The Bible says in verse 17, Leah's eyes were delicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her eyes were delicate. Translates literally, her eyes were tender. Her eyes was weak. And then the country would have said she was cockeyed. Oh, don't act like it's not there because there's a reason why it uses the word but Rachel. It could have said and Rachel and then gave a description, but then it says but Rachel. Somebody say but Rachel. Yeah, he's trying to show us something about Leah. I'm not throwing off on Leah. And don't be sending me no emails talking about Pastor Willa called Leah cockeyed. You didn't know Leah and I didn't either. And I ain't getting mad at you when you define me as husky. I know, I know what husky mean. It means I was fat. Don't be trying to mess with me. So when you call me, okay, let's move on, move on, move on, move on. So here it is. Verse 17 says, Leah's eyes were delicate, but then it says, but. Somebody say, but. But Rachel, here it is, New King James says, was beautiful in form and appearance. You know what that means. Let me translate. That means this girl was fine and good looking. That means back in the day, we said she built like a brick house. I know some of y'all don't know nothing about a brick house. They don't, don't go back. Don't be backsliding. You hear that? Somebody trying to sing it. We don't know. Uh, let's move on. Move forward. Touch your neighbor and say move forward. But that's what we would have described. We would have described them as a brick house. That's, 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 so the scripture says Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. But listen, look at verse 18. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. These three words are significant throughout the entire message. Ray, Jacob loved Rachel. Say that with me. Jacob loved Rachel. Come on, I want you to say it from your heart. Here it is. Jacob loved Rachel. Now, one more time for emphasis. Jacob loved Rachel. You say you need to understand because that is the thread by which we're going to pull all this together. The Bible says, now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will, he's talking to Laban, he says, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. That's the deal. Because Laban had already said, I don't want you working for free. He says, tell me, what can I do for you? He comes to him, verse 18, and says, I love Rachel. I will work seven years. You ask me what wage? I will work seven years for her hand in marriage. Verse 19 says this, and Laban said, is it better that I would give her to you than that I should give her to another man? He says, stay with me. In other words, there's no better, no better person than you. 
So you stay with me seven years, you can have her hand in marriage. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Then, listen to this, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. So that means he made the sacrifice. That means he made the commitment. That means he was there in his devotion to stay with Rachel. He worked seven years for Laban for Rachel. Why? Because Jacob loved Rachel. Rachel. Now, verse 21 says, Then Jacob said to Laman, Give me my wife. This boy been faithful for seven years. Seven long years. This boy's been working for her daddy and watching Rachel walk around. Mm. Y'all don't want to talk to me here. Oh, 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 oh. You think Pastor Willie being too explicit. Well, let's go to the scripture. The Bible says, then Jacob, because I know you ain't read the script. I know you ain't read ahead because you're looking at me strange. Jacob said to Laman, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled and that I may go into her. You don't need a translation, do you? He says, I've been, come on, don't look at me in that tone of voice. He says, I've been working seven years. I've been faithful. She's my wife. Can I have my wife, please? Can you imagine 364 days that passed by and on the 365th? I can see Jacob at the door saying, that, uh, 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 yeah, I know that's right. Can, can, uh, I'm going to leave that alone. Verse 22 says, and Laman gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. So he comes to claim his bride and Laman gathers all these men and said, let's have a party. We're going to have a celebration for this wedding. Now it came to pass in the evening that Laman took Leah, his daughter, and brought her. Did you catch that? He brought Leah, not Rachel. He brought Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Verse 25 says, and it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. Listen, my question is, is why did it take him all night to figure out who? Okay, we'll deal with that on a Wednesday night because I know we online and everything. So y'all come back Wednesday. We'll, we'll try to. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah, and he says to Laman, what is it that you have done to me? What is not, was it not Rachel that I served you? Then listen to this question. Why then have you deceived me? Me and Bella was sitting around this weekend talking about this particular text. And we found that she really caught it. She said, isn't it interesting that Rachel is in love with Jacob and Jacob is just like her daddy. He's a trickster. He's a deceiver. And he's a con person as well. Verse 26 says, and Laman said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Notice how he invokes this custom that he didn't invoke at the beginning. When he was there trying to negotiate Rachel's hand in marriage, there was no indication, no talk about you need to marry the older one first. But now you've been deceived after seven years of service, I'm going to pull a switcheroo on you. Verse 27 says, fulfill her weeks, and I will, listen to this, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Now he sees the love that Jacob has for Rachel, and he says, look, you still want Rachel? I want you to give me another seven years. 
Verse 28 says, then Jacob did so and fulfilled her weeks. Every woman here needs to understand that a man will, if he loves you, will work to get you. Jacob says, listen, verse 28 says, then Jacob did so and fulfilled her weeks. After another seven years, which makes a total of 14 years, so he gave him his daughter Rachel, also wife also. Verse 30 says, then Jacob also went into Rachel. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. Here it is. And he served with Laman still another seven years. So seven years to get Rachel. Then he's deceived. He works another seven years to actually get Rachel. And once he gets Rachel, he stays there and works with Laman another seven years. I'm not great in math, but that's 21 years that Jacob has invested in this family, amen, to secure this relationship. Now, the problem is, I told you that, that our focus is Leah. And one of the things that you'll see in the passage is the frustration of Leah. Don't miss this. Frustration for me. Frustration for you, frustration for the characters in the scripture is oftentimes the result of unmet needs. I'm going to say it again. When we find ourselves extremely frustrated, it is usually an indication that we have our needs and they went unmet. We will see in the passage that obviously Leah is in a place of frustration. She is in a place where her needs are not being met. Now you can imagine what that would feel like. Leah is the daughter that has been used by her own father. It was her father that told her to go in there and sleep with Jacob. Knowing that you're with a man that is love with your sister. Then Leah is a woman with a man that does not love her. So it's one thing to be deceived by your father. It's another thing to be in love with a man that don't love you. Leah is a sister that is caught up in this relationship because why? She is stuck. Verse 31 says, and when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Now, I grew up on the King James Version, and, and I remember I was sort of struck by the, 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 this particular passage because I could not help but under, could not understand the significance of Leah being in this relationship where she is dealing with her feels, her feelings. Anybody ever been caught up in their feels? She, she is dealing with her feelings. She, she is, the scripture says, is unloved. When the Lord saw that she was unloved. Now, this is what you need to understand. The word unloved here is the Hebrew word sene. It's sane, rather. Sane literally means hated. It means literally to be viewed as an enemy. So I want you to envision now that Leah is caught up in a love triangle where she is despised by her sister and neglected by her husband. She is caught up in a situation where she is unloved. She is caught up in a situation where she is actually hated. She is caught up in a situation where she is viewed as the enemy. And the Bible says and the Lord saw that Leah was hated, saw that she was viewed as an enemy, saw that she was viewed in this way. And he opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. This is what the key, verse 32 says this. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Somebody say Reuben. Yeah, she has this baby before she says to herself, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Notice the baby name reflects her pain and not her joy. 
She is in a relationship with Jacob, obviously an unhealthy relationship. Why? Being pregnant has not changed her situation because she gives birth at a time she is experiencing personal affliction. When the Bible said that she says, surely the Lord has seen my affliction, the word affliction there is defined in the Hebrew as misery. It literally means poverty. It means that he has seen that I'm in trouble. Did you know that this word literally means depression? So literally, Aaliyah has diagnosed herself and recognized her own depression. And remember, she didn't get pregnant by herself. So this means in the midst of her affliction, she has perhaps painfully realized that she is with a man that can sleep with you and not love you. She has painfully realized you can sleep with a man that actually hates you. You can sleep with a man that is actually in love with someone else. So now all of a sudden she's dealing with the challenges of real life. And she's in a state of affliction. That means she's in a state of depression. But, but to add injury to insult, the Bible says in verse 33, she, then she conceived again and bore a son. And said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me a son also. Given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Now wait a minute. She just had Reuben. And she tells herself that now my husband's going to love me. Which is an indication that she knows Jacob does not love her. So now she has a second baby and calls him Simeon. Notice her situation has not changed with the giving birth of her firstborn son. But the Lord now has heard that I'm unloved. Remember, she is in a relationship where she is hated. She's in a relationship where she's viewed as the enemy. Now this baby has come on the scene. But Leah's focus is not on Reuben. Leah's focus, which is her firstborn son. Her focus is not on Simeon, which is her secondborn son. Her focus is on a man that is in love with someone else. What do you do when you look at your baby and he or she reminds you of someone that does not love you back? Or at least do not love you the way that you need to be or desire to be loved. Listen, as you still here you are, and then to add injury to insult, listen, and you're still sleeping with him. Listen to me. Uh, my question to Leah, Leah was to find herself in my office, amen, and me and Bella was talking to her. My question to her would be, is that your way of competing with the other woman? Is that your way of holding on to a piece of a man rather than valuing yourself enough to realize you deserve a whole man? Not a man that only calls you up for a booty call. Not a man that only visits you in your primary when your primary lady is not available to him. Not a man that only visits you the day after New Year's. The man that visits you the day after Valentine's. The man that visits you after Thanksgiving. The man that visits you after Christmas. And he will visit you on your birthday as long as it doesn't conflict with Rachel's birthday. The Bible says in verse 34 that she conceived again and bore a son. And said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. Because I have bore him three sons. Therefore she called his name, here it is, she called Levi. Notice Leah is still caught up in this repetitive cycle. She is stuck in a place of unhealthy thinking. Look at your name and say, she's stuck. 
Yeah, she's stuck. She, she has her fourth. Listen, she is in this situation with her third son. Levi comes on the scene. Listen to what she begins. Listen to what she tells herself. This time, my husband will become attached to me. This time, we're going to connect. The first baby didn't do it. The second baby didn't do it. But I'm hopeful that this third baby boy is going to bring us together and he's going to attach himself to me. The fact is, is that she says this to herself is a clear indication that she knows that they are not truly connected. For why else would you say to yourself, this time he's going to connect? That's an indication you know you're not connected. Jacob has not, is not, and will not connect to Leah. Why? Because Jacob still loves Rachel. And so he cannot connect to her because he's already tied to someone else. Verse 35 says, and she conceived again and bore a son. And she says, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Somebody say Judah. Somebody shout Judah. Somebody online say Judah. Here it is. He says, I will call him Judah. And the Bible says, and then she stopped bearing. Notice it appears that Leah is finally waking up to the reality that Jacob loves Rachel. And Leah has, listen, Leah's having more children will not make Jacob love her anymore. So at this time, she focuses now on the Lord. And she says, now, somebody say now. She says, now after three babies and now this fourth one, I've come to realize I will praise the Lord. In other words, it appears that Leah is no longer stuck with her stinking thinking. She is no longer stuck in her situation. She is no longer stuck in her mess. She is waking up to the reality that her focus cannot be about a man. It's got to be focused on the man. And she realized that she can be broken from that past, but yet be healed in his presence. Why? Because God saved to the utmost. Can I get a witness so so all of a sudden you find this woman who has been despised you have this woman that's been rejected you have this woman that's been neglected but then God still uses her check this out God uses her because you do know that she not only gave birth to Judah which is one of the most powerful tribes the tribe of royalty but also the tribe of praise but also she gave uh, birth to Levi which is the tribe of the priesthood come on Bible scholars that means God took this broken rejected tore up messed up amen stuck woman and use her to give birth to the the provincial Levi she gave God gave her the power amen and the opportunity to give birth to the tribe of Levi you know who came out of the tribe of Levi right it was Jesus that came out of the tribe of Levi God used this woman oh y'all come on somebody God used this woman to give birth to the tribe that would ultimately give birth to our Lord and Savior don't tell me that God don't know how to specialize in our mess and turn a situation around. But the question is, now again, I told you over the last three weeks, that's Jacob, Rachel, and Leah's story. What's your story? What lies have you chosen to believe? I got a few of them that I want to throw at you. Amen. Please don't duck. I want you to catch it the first time around. Just got a few. Here's the first one. And that is a lie that most couples believe that I've discovered over the years. And that is, I can change him or her. Yeah. You ever met somebody that believed that lie? I can change him or her. Well, the main problem with this lie, besides that it is a lie, is that couples that believe this lie tie their total worth in trying to control the uncontrollable. 
We can inspire people, we can motivate people, we can influence others to make some changes. Matter of fact, that's the power of influence. But when we believe this lie, more times than not, it's about our habits, values, and expectations than it is about the other person's worth and their needs. That's why some of them, listen, more times than not, he or she will reject counseling because you made the appointment to fix them. They don't want to come to your little appointment that you set up because they know already that you want to create an atmosphere where you can tell them where they were wrong and they were right. We can become a slave to this process of transforming, amen, the other uh, to our values, to our habits, to our belief systems. And we choose not to be happy until we change them to our satisfaction. So we're not praying, not about it, not about what God wants. We're praying, if we are praying, God, conform them to my will. Conform them to what I want. Change them and make her the woman I need. God, make him the man that I want rather than God conform him or her heart to the one that you would have them to be then you'll notice a strong resistance from that person you are trying to not inspire but to change for your benefit not necessarily their benefit why do they resist because listen in some cases they believe that it was a trick they believe it was absolute trick they believe that you secured their affections only with a hidden agenda to change them later also, some of them resist because they say to themselves, I was good enough to spend time with. I was good enough for you to date. I was good enough, here it is, to sleep with, even marry. But now I need to change? Listen, you may not know, have noticed this yourself, but you probably have a habit of engaging in relationships that are fixer-uppers. He or she, much like an old house, is that is there in need of renovation and you see him or her as great potential. But you also anticipate a return on your investment. So it's not about the house. It is not about the renovation. It is about you getting what you put in back. So it's about you and not necessarily about them. That's a lie that people believe. Here's another lie that a lot of people believe, and this is usually in the dating phase, and I don't, I don't see this too much in marriage, but I certainly see this when people are going through courtship, and that is if I give him or her my heart and my body, he or she will commit. If I give them my heart and my body, they will commit. Well, first, this is certainly a lie. Many couples have made this mistake of believing this. Not only is it not true, some of you have already experienced, many have experienced just the opposite. Soon as you gave him or her and noticed, took notice of, they started to withdraw almost immediately. Here it is. Others experience extreme mood swings. They are high today and low tomorrow. Listen, you'll need to know, listen, you don't listen, you need to know physical intimacy outside of marriage always takes. Is, is I'm having problems with my mic. Is that just me? That's not just where's my handheld? Give me the handheld, because. Uh, praise the Lord. Y'all know y'all just added extra minutes to the message. When we... Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Okay, here we go. Listen, others experience extreme mood swings. They are high today and low tomorrow. Listen, you need to know physical intimacy outside of marriage always takes and it never gives anything sustaining or fulfilling at least long term back to you. That's why you can actually love them and still feel empty on the inside. 
Listen, Leah's story should teach us and remind us just because you give your heart and body to someone does not ensure connection. It does not ensure love. It does not ensure devotion, nor does it ensure fidelity. Let me tell you another lie that people, uh, couples believe. A baby will fix our problem. A baby, see, look at y'all face. Look, I know I've heard that lie. Some, some of you say I've experienced that. Couples that believe this lie make the baby the solution while often ignoring three major issues. Not the only issues, but three major issues. And that is bonding, work, and finances. Not the only, but certainly they ignore this. Bonding. So many couples don't understand that, that it is important to the bonding process of spending quality time together as a couple. And with the, the arrival of a new baby, your couple's time has now become family time. And listen, that's fine as long as you both agree. Oftentimes when the baby comes as a solution, not both are excited about that new arrival. The second one is simply this, the work. I call it double duty. Considering the lack of bonding, many times couples are unaware of the domestic duties that are getting ready to double because of this new arrival. And their concentration and their focus is now on the baby. And for some, this is when the bickering begins. But he or she is unaware of the root cause of the argument. They, under, they usually never take into consideration that there has been no previous discussion nor decision about the sacrifice. Nor was there a plan implemented as it relates to the lifestyle changes to meet the needs of this new family. Here's the third one, and that is finances. Oftentimes, some, some couples never consider the sacrifice and the experience, the expense rather, that comes with properly raising a child. In addition, this added stress from money that was going to here is now going to here. Listen, having a baby does not automatically ensure he or she will love you more. It is irresponsible to put that type of pressure on a baby. Because when it doesn't work, what do you do when the baby is already here? You can't send the baby back. Not legally. Here's the fourth one. Let me tell you the fourth, fourth lie that I oftentimes hear. Here it is. Don't miss this. If he or she trusts me, he or she wouldn't need my password. Don't look at your shoes now. Come on, stay with me here. Well, let's flip that. The other person could say, the other could, could argue that if you were trustworthy, you wouldn't or shouldn't have a problem sharing your password. Well, I would say this. After years of counseling, dealing with both married and single people, I would say this. It depends on if you're single or if you're married. Single, and when I say single, I mean biblically single. You know, I know that people are in these what they call so what, somewhat. You know, I'm a, I'm, I've been in church a long time. I'm blown away by people who's been with somebody, amen, uh, 10, 15 years, and they don't see themselves as single. Uh, you're single. Uh, if you ain't put a ring on it, you, 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 you're single. And listen, listen, if you're not married, you're single. If you're not, it, it doesn't matter if you're engaged, you're single. It doesn't matter if you're a widow, you're single. If you're divorced, you're single. So if you're not married, you are Single. So when I say singles, I'm talking to you. Listen to me. If you are single, this is the time for you to get to decide what you want to do. What do you want? During this time, you should be establishing healthy boundaries for yourself, especially if you are dating, which is an opportunity for you to evaluate his or her character, etc. 
You have every right and responsibility to have your stuff on lock. Here it is. You have every responsibility and every authority and every right to have your stuff on lock, including your password. But here, if you are not going to keep your body on lock, why would you care about your phone? So, so I'm going to leave that alone. We'll leave that for Wednesday night. But, but, but if you are married, if you're married, give it up. Give it up. You need to give up your password. Here it is. And the only people that should be kept out of, listen, your password should be kept from everyone else but your spouse. Why? Because of the four foundational laws of marriage. If you've ever studied in Genesis, and certainly Paul repeats it in, Eph in Ephesians when he writes to the church at Ephesus in the fifth chapter, the 31st and the 32nd verse, 31 says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Those cover, that passage right there covers three of the four foundational laws. The first one he says, For this cause a man shall leave his mother and his father. Why is this saying that? That is the law of priority in other words you are now following the law of priority because you were devoted to your parents but now because you are married the Bible says that your wife now has to come first she is the priority in your relationship she don't become before God but she comes before everything and everyone else before your job before your ministry before your parents even before your kids they have to become come on y'all talk to me your wife is supposed to come first not only does the Bible say that we're supposed to do that he says and shall be joined to your wife. That's the second part of the principle or the foundational law. You go from, listen to this, you go from priority, amen, leaving your mother and father being joined to your wife, to the second one, which is pursuit, which means I'm going to cleave to my wife. That means I'm going to pursue her. You don't just pursue her to, to obtain her affection. You don't just pursue her up into the honeymoon, but that means after day one, after week one, after month one, after year one, after the first anniversary, after the second anniversary, you're supposed to be in pursuit of her. That's the Bible principle. But then the third one is this is why you share your password. The reason you share your password, he says, because the two become one flesh. Y'all didn't hear me. The two become one flesh. I'm going to say it again. The two become one flesh. How are you going to share your body fluids and not share your password? Come on, don't, don't leave, don't leave. This is a bad time to walk out. I want you to stay with me. Listen, listen. He says the two shall become one. So you need to understand that when it comes to, listen, we go from priority to pursuit. And the third law is possession. That means that in our covenant, there is no division between you and I. We share everything. Look at your neighbor and say everything. Yeah, we share. Look at your neighbor and say we share everything. Yeah, if, you, if we're married, we're supposed to share everything. That's why we don't sign prenups. That's a, that's a world habit, not a build, that's not a kingdom habit. We don't do that in the kingdom. You know why? Two reasons. Number one, when you sign a prenup, you are prophesying the end of the destruction of your marriage at the beginning. The second thing you're violating is the covenant. The covenant says that we are supposed to be one. So when I sign a prenup, I'm, or if I have Bella sign a prenup, I'm going into the marriage saying there are some things you don't have access to. 
There are some things you will never be a part of. There are some things, and we do that, listen, because we are not trusting the process. And if you don't trust the process in marriage, you will promote selfishness. And listen, selfishness is brutal on married people. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave that alone. Here it is. This, this, this is what I want to tell you. We'll cover these laws at another time. The last one is purity, if you want to know that. You can study that at another time. But here, this is what I want you to understand. And that is, listen, listen. Cheaters are going to cheat. I do not ascribe to the old adage, once a cheater, always a cheater. I do believe people change. But a person that is going to cheat will give you their password and just get a second phone. So, so, so what is your goal? If your goal is sharing or wanting the password shared with you is transparency, I think that's a good thing. But if the goal is to prevent infidelity, you don't prevent infidelity by changing your password. You do that by changing your heart. Let, let, let me give you the last lie that sometimes couples believe, and that is he or she treats my kids different. There's a lot of people that have experienced this, especially you who have had blended relationships and certainly blended marriages. This is something that oftentimes come up. And first of all, I'm not going to suggest to you that this is always a lie. Because I've seen couples, when they go through great conflicts, circle the wagon around their own biological children. But you need to know that sometimes this is a lie. Sometimes, because of your past experience, you're telling yourself that this is not going to work simply because of your past experience. See, the enemy will use the deception of perception. What do you mean, Pastor Willie? There are times Bella and I had to encourage and reassure couples that the challenges that they were dealing with is not always rooted in this idea that they are not our biological children. That's, that's what they were thinking. Because they're not biological children, that's why they were dealing with those challenges. Well, newsflash, even parents that shared the same biological children differ on the best approach of raising children. Listen, that, that's because some of the mess that we're dealing with is not a blended family issue. At times, it is a male and female issue. What do you mean? Historically, men and women both look at the same situation from two different perspectives. Not a right or wrong perspective, just different. That's why you pray together. That's why you're supposed to talk together. That's why you're supposed to work together. That's why you're supposed to move in the spirit of agreement so that you are a unified team. Also, when you are a blended family, observing other families from a distance, you may assume children in biological families are all loved equally. That would also be an unhealthy assumption. Lastly, in unhealthy relationships, sometimes the husband and the wife still carry tons of guilt. Don't miss this. And some couples, in an effort to reduce his or her guilt, when his or her biological children show up, they unfortunately attempt to reduce their guilt by mistreating that non-biological child. Some couples do this because they feel bad about their role as dad and mom in the new children's lives, especially if the pre previous children are present. So, Pastor Willie, what's the solution? The solution is that you make up your mind that you're going to create an atmosphere of health for the entire family. Listen, I, I was thinking about this uh, as I was uh, on that last point as I prepared to close. I thought about this. I thought about um, me making these brownies. And uh, I love making brownies, by the way. I love, I love. Why did y'all look at my stomach when I said that? Why? <laughs> I felt it. I felt it. I felt judgment in the house when I, 
I, uh, I love making brownies. I, I'll pick up my brownie mix and I'll get my bowl together and I'll get my pan all greased up and, and I'll get my little whisk, my little whisk uh, uh, together. And what I'll do is I'll dump my mix uh, in my bowl and I'll take my eggs and I'll dump my eggs in there and I'll get my water and I'll, I'll take my water and dump it in there, whatever amount that it calls for. And then I'll, I'll take my melted butter and, and put it in there. And then I'll put my pecans, pecans. I don't know, y'all from different parts of the country. Uh, we say pecans, pecans. And some people say pecans. That's, that, that's how y'all say it? How many of y'all say pecans? Uh, but look at how I look at pecans, okay? Easy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Pecans is what it is for this morning then. I'll begin to mix it up, I'll stir it up, and I'll start blending it up. But, but every now and then I'll notice that there's a little dry clump. Uh, it's a little lump that is a little hard. It, it's, the lump is still, it sticks out a little bit. It, it's a lump that has not quite been blended very well. They are present. They, they are in the bowl. They are part of the necessary ingredients, but they didn't mix very well. And as though, listen, I, I, I was looking at it and I thought about uh, the, the lies that couples believe. I thought to myself, what if these clumps could talk. What, what would they say? Perhaps the clump would say, I've been like this a long time. Why do I need to change? Perhaps a biological parent would still step in right here and say, in an attempt to defend that mindset, my child has been through enough. He or she has been through so many changes. What's wrong with he or she remaining as they are? The problem is, is that when you try to keep the clumps the way they are, you're saying that it doesn't have to blend with everything else. But remember, it is not about just the clump or the lump. Y'all don't hear me. It's about trying to get that thing all together. Because I, my advice to any couple, particularly blended families, my advice to you is to, with love and with care and with consistency, keep mixing it up. Look at your neighbor and say, keep mixing it up. I feel like preaching now. Y'all give me two minutes. Says, just keep mixing it up. Keep stirring it up just just keep blending it up and over time all of those pieces begin to start working together and listen to me if you're going to have a blended family you cannot you can be an individual but you cannot completely keep your individual distinctives why because that doesn't work well in a family because in order to for a family be the successful it's just like a church like ccc we're a diverse church so you get something but you got to give up something you got to sometimes give up your preferences for somebody else's preferences talk to me and in families when you're trying to bring amen different people to the family group amen that has come from other relationships you need to understand that the goal is to get them to blend together and so when you're trying to blend them together you need to understand that the water that I poured in did not keep its same distinctive because it's now being transformed by everything else the eggs doesn't get to stay the same the water doesn't stay the same the mix doesn't stay the same can I tell you this even the pecans don't even stay the same. Some of you say, no, I ate it. It seemed like it still has its distinct taste. No, because when I put that butter in it, that butter is going to, y'all don't hear me, that butter is going to infuse that pecan and then it's going to be transformed. So when you coming out of the oven, you're going to say, mm-mm, good. Why? Because it's being transformed by the experience. So what I want you to know is simply this, that nobody gets to remain the same. Nobody. No, so you have, listen, parents that are dealing with blended family situations, just keep mixing it up. 
and letting them know their love. Keep mixing it up. Let them know they're cared for. Keep mixing it up and let them know you want them to be a part. Mix it up and tell them you want them to go on the family vacation. Mix it up and let them know that they are in the future plans of the family. Keep mixing it up. And as you do that, those little lumps and those little clumps become smaller and smaller. And all of a sudden, now they've made the adjustment. But if you let them just stay lumpy, you cannot be surprised of the outcome. You got to do what is necessary. I was uh, at the end of the 9 o'clock service. Uh, little Emma came up to me. And she said, hello, Pastor Willie. I said, hello, hey, Emma. And I, I, I usually say speak and I keep moving, but she wanted to talk. And she said, Pastor Willie, uh, I got a chance to ride a horse for the first time. She says, and my dad put me on the horse. And then he snuck away. Stay with me. She said, he snuck away. I said, hmm. And I talked to Danny, and afterwards, we were going to my office. He says, yeah, he was telling me about it. I said, you know, I was telling him about what Emma said. He said, yeah, I told her, you're going to be okay. You're a little further from me. I'm no longer in the corral with you, but you're going to be okay. Somebody in here, just because God ain't in the same place he once was, doesn't mean that you're not going to make it. I can hear God telling you, you're going to be okay. I, I can't make it. You're not in the same place. You're going to be okay. I don't feel you like I used to be. You're going to be okay. You need to know that God has not forsaken you. You are going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Every head's bowed. My question to you this morning is simply this. What lies have you believed? What lies? What lies have you chosen to believe that is fortified now in your mind? Maybe it's about your, not your spouse, but maybe it's about your kids. Maybe it's not your kids, maybe it's your in-laws. You know, I'll never be accepted in your family. Could that be a lie you've chosen to believe? I believe that there's some people in here that you're saying, if the truth be told, I'm living with some level of regret. I need the Lord to help me. Because I love my baby. I love my children, but I regret that things didn't go as planned. Listen to me. You cannot live the rest of your life stuck. That's our prayer today. That we would no longer have to be stuck. Let us stand. What I want you to do is I want you to come in agreement with me. I just have this simple little prayer. But I want to tell you what the prayer is so that we can all come into agreement, both you on site and you online. It simply is this. Heavenly Father, reveal to me the other lies I have chosen to believe that has led me to becoming stuck. And grant me the courage to make the necessary changes to overcome. Some of you, even though we're in a series, Lies Couples Believe, 
perhaps you're feeling stuck because you feel stuck in a dead-end job. Maybe what God is trying to get you to do is change your perspective about the assignment on that job. And you feel like it's not leading you to where you want to go, but you never ask God, is it leading you where he wants you to go? The second thing is simply this. Maybe you're feeling while you're in a town or a community or a neighborhood that you feel stuck. I'm saying you don't have to stay stuck. The prodigal son is, I believe, one of the best biblical examples of someone being in a place that when his mind changed, his circumstances eventually followed. Listen to me. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your choices. If you start making better choices, a better life will follow. If you have a great life now, if you start making poor choices, I promise you a poor, corrupt life will follow. The prodigal son took his inheritance from his father and the Bible says went into riotous living. And when he had spent everything and he was in a place of want where he could not meet his needs, he became and attached himself, the scripture says, to someone from a faraway country and he began to work in the hog pen. Listen to this. And he found himself hungry. That lets you know his needs, even though he's working, is not meeting his needs. And the Bible says he would have filled his belly with the corn husk that the swine did eat. Listen, he was going to eat the slop of the hogs, not because he's a bad person, not because he doesn't have a legitimate need. Hunger is a legitimate need. But he was getting ready to fulfill it with an illegitimate source, which was corn husk, because he's hungry. Can I ask you this? What have you been eating? simply because you're hungry. Hungry for validation. Hungry for affirmation. Just hungry. I'm not here to judge you. I'm saying there's something better. The Bible says that he was getting ready to fill his belly. And the scripture says, and he, here it is, he came to himself. He came to himself. Check this out. He came to himself in the hall pen with mud between his toes he came to himself surrounded by hogs he came to himself with the smell of stench and slop he came to himself and when he came to himself he spoke to himself and he says I will return back to my father's house sometime when you're in a place where you feel stuck you need to start talking to yourself you need to start telling yourself, it ain't always be like this. I'm not always going to be in this situation. You need to start prophesying and declaring to yourself, saying, I'm better than this. I'm going to change it. I'm still got, listen, I'm still in the hole pen, but laugh at me now because I ain't going to be at the hole pen forever. Laugh at me now. I'm down. Yeah, I'm, my money's acting funny, but don't look at me now because this thing is going to turn around. Do I have a witness in here that you can testify that God will turn a situation around? Do I have a witness in here that God knows how to specialize in a comeback in your life? So here it is. This is what I want you to understand. Sometimes we just need to pray for courage so we don't have to feel trapped 
Because sometimes the reason we feel stuck is because we feel trapped. And I come to tell you, whom the Son is set free is set free indeed. Listen to me. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, as we close out this message, Lord, even as we prepare for what you're getting ready to do next in our lives, it is our prayer right now in this moment. Heavenly Father, reveal to us the other lies that we have chosen to believe that has led us to becoming stuck and give us, grant us the courage to make the necessary changes to overcome. Lord, give us a new look. Give us a glimpse into our future. Give us a glimpse into our transformation. Give us a glimpse into the prophecy that is spoken over our lives. Give us a glimpse into the plan you have for us. Give us a glimpse into the promises that is still hovering over our lives. God, give us a vision so that we don't always see ourselves right where we are, but we see ourselves moving forward and ahead. Father, I thank you for this moment in time that we no longer have to be stuck. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, look at me before I say amen. You are worth more than what you're showing. And you know why you stay stuck? Because you don't want to admit you've slipped into a place of hopelessness. But if you ever get a glimpse of the Savior, you will not tolerate that neglect, that abuse, all of that stuff. You're, I don't know who this is for. I don't know if it's online, but it, on site, you need to hear me. You do not have to stay in that place of neglect any longer. Anybody that's putting your, their hands on you abusively is not your friend. Listen. You can do better than what you're doing. Trust God. Pray. Listen. And invite him into your circumstances. And I promise you, listen to me, I promise you, if you wholeheartedly invite him in, he will not turn his back on you. Some of you keep trying to get all your systems and everything together to be perfect before you listen to me. All you need is to know God is on your side. And the thing is, God will not always show you the complete plan before he tells you to do what he told you to do. You got to accept it by faith. And trust that the next step you need to take will be there when you need it. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see y'all on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock.